Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Emmanuel Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. So happy to see you today. Um, we're just glad you came to worship with us this morning. Uh, if you are new, if you are new to Emmanuel, if you would fill out a connection card and just give us some information about yourself, and someone out on staff here will reach out to you. My name is Michael. Um, <clears throat> I serve as the administrator here on staff. We would be happy to help you just get connected and answer any questions that you have about our church. Um, one thing, one event that we have coming up next week, if you're, if you're newer to Emmanuel or if you have been here for a while and just haven't ever connected with us in membership, we would like to invite you to Starting Point. Starting Point is our is our new member class in which you can kind of come and hear from deacons and staff about how things function as our church, what and what are some of the bigger vision things involved in, in being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We would love to invite you. You can sign up online. There will be concurrent child care, so you can leave them in Discovery Park or the hangar, and we'll meet in the overflow room. And that's during the 10 o'clock service. If you would like to join us, please sign up online. Another thing to announcement that we have, we have a family ministry volunteer training on Sunday, July 23rd at 5 o'clock. You can sign up for this online. If you serve in Discovery Park or if you serve in the hangar, which are our um, preschool and elementary age ministry areas, if you serve in any of those areas or you're just interested in how things operate there or you would like to serve, please sign up for this uh, annual um, volunteer training uh, meeting. Another thing that we have next Sunday, we're going to have an outreach time, we're calling it Prayer and Share Neighborhood Outreach. We're going to meet up here at 6, 6 o'clock, 6 p.m., and have a short time of training, and then go out into different neighborhoods in our community, maybe target a few different neighborhoods, pray for those neighborhoods, <clears throat> walk through those neighborhoods, and hopefully meet people to share, in, to share the gospel um, and so if you're interested in that, come up here at 6, 6 o'clock next Sunday. We, have just, we still have a few decorations, not in here, but around campus. We just finished up VBS. We had a great time at VBS. It was an awesome time. We had about 150 kids every night and about 100 volunteers every night. So if you were here and you volunteered and you served, thank you very much for serving. Also... Are the Hancocks in here? Is Kenny in here yet? No. Oh, he's out there. Okay. All right. Would somebody run and go and get Kenny and tell him it's his time to talk? <laughs> <laughs> so the Hancocks are a mission partner of EBC. Kenny Hancock was the children's minister here for many years, up until about five years ago. <laughs> and here he is. And he, he's going to give us a little bit of an update. Um, yeah. So welcome, Kenny. <laughs> okay, so if most of you guys who actually know me, you know that probably wasn't a, a coincidence. Um, I'm a talker, uh, and I don't have a whole lot of time. So uh, like Mike probably mentioned, my name is Kenny Hancock. I used to be the children's minister here, um, and I just wanted to say one thing to you guys uh, right off the bat. This church is extremely close to my family and I. Um, you guys were the launching point for our ministry. You guys have helped us immensely throughout the journey in training, throughout all the things that I endured to get to where we are today. And officially, 
um, and I didn't say this in the last service, but this is interesting, is last Wednesday at uh, VBS um, was officially five years to the day that I pulled out of Emmanuel with my moving truck. So I find it a little bit, I don't find it ironic. I don't think God has coincidences. I think everything is ordained by him, which means that wasn't an accident that I'm here on the official like five-year anniversary launching into the mission field that you guys have helped so immensely for. So thank you, uh, thank you, thank you right off the bat. Oh my gosh, um, Jim Marshall's in the front. I haven't seen Jim Marshall in a long time. Um, <laughs> that was not expected. So, um, let me just let, let me just say this. One of the questions that I get first off, let me introduce you to my family. And here, there's pictures on the screen here. Uh, my 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 wife Jocelyn, my daughter Kira, and Layla. And you can tell which one of us is the ham in the family, really. Um, the one of the questions that I get a whole lot is through this whole mission journey, uh, what why, why Alaska? And so what, what was it about Alaska that you chose over, I don't know, Papua New Guinea or the Africa or the deepest, darkest jungles of Ecuador like Nate Saint uh, did? Well, one of the reasons, and it's not a super huge reason, but it is a reason. We have children, and my oldest is 16 years old. Moving into a foreign mission field overseas, most mission agencies require at the age of 18, if your kids are 18 years old, that they send you back to the United States so you can help your children get their affairs settled and move on to college and whatever it is. By the time we would have launched into Papua New Guinea or even Flying Mission Zambia, which is where I actually served for a month um, in Africa, uh, we would have been sent home in about two weeks, so it, the mission would have not been accomplished. So that's one reason. The second reason, and the most important, is that Alaska itself is a both dark spiritual, uh, dark place spiritually and physically. Depending on where you are in Alaska, two months out of the year in the wintertime, the sun never rises. In the, in the summertime, when the sun comes up, it doesn't go down, so you have full sunlight. So it's the exact opposite, and that really does mess with your circadian rhythm and, and how that works with your brain and depression, alcoholism, drug abuse, violence amongst the Native Alaskans, um, physical, sexual abuse, all those things that you can think in your head right now that, that go bad, it happens. And most of those statistics in Alaska are greater in Alaska than they are in the entire lower 48. The murder rate alone amongst Native Alaskans is 5% higher than the national average. The Alaskan people need help. We at MARC, and by the way, MARC stands for Mission Aviation Repair Center. We are the, we're basically the transport. We bring in pastors, we bring in counselors, we bring in life-giving supplies to the Native Alaskans on, in the winter times. And then my favorite part, the part that most of you guys, if you know me, if you don't, I hope you get to know me. My heart is children. I've been a children's pastor here for a long time and my heart still exists with kids and I want to see kids come to know the gospel. And so one of the things that is amazing to me is during the summertime, we have, we, uh, MARC services 239 villages in the middle of Alaska. 100 of those have a church. There is a desperate need in Alaska for churches and for the gospel to be preached. We as MARC, we, are, we get the opportunity to fly into villages, pick up children, and take them to a kids camp or a vacation Bible school and get them out of their village. Some of these kids will be the only time they ever get to leave their village and hear a gospel presentation. 
And for some of us, like me, when I go in to get children in the airplane, we bring them to kids camp and we stay with them for a week. And most of us as pilots become the counselors, we become the mentors at the camp, uh, along with several other people as well. So I am unbelievably excited about all that. Now, I would love nothing more, as most of you probably know, to stand up here for the rest of this service and tell you all about it, because trust me, I can do that. Now, the other thing is uh, this major thing right here. I want to tell you as much as I possibly can. So tonight, all of you, yes, every person in this room, if you are free tonight at 5.30 p.m., please come to the hangar, which is next door where the kids' ministry area is, we are having a taco dinner. We are going to feed you tacos and cookies, and we're going to play a couple of games, and I hope you guys are up on your Alaska trivia because I got some of that stuff for you too. So we got door prizes, game, whatever. Whatever it's going to take to get you there without me paying you. So <laughs> please come. We would love to feed you. I would love to do nothing more than share as much as I possibly can. And guys, this, this ministry is something that uh, the Alaskan people really do need. And I just pray that we can be um, the people who are just a part of that mission. And for you guys right now, um, one of the things I ask is that even if you don't come tonight, the one thing you do for us, stop by the, our, our little table in the back, get a prayer card. We want one thing from you and one thing only. I want you to pray for us. That's it. My family and I believe so much in the power of prayer. We believe so much that prayer changes things. When we come before our Heavenly Father... He actually works for us on our, on our behalf as long as we are honoring him. So, guys, we want to change the Alaskan people's hearts. I get to do a small part of that. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray as we start our service, and we're going to pray for the Hancocks as well. Father God, we love you. We thank you for just the life that you give us. We thank you for letting us serve you. We thank you for your great love for us in which you've called us and out of darkness and into light. God, we pray for the Hancocks today. We pray that you would continue to give them vision towards the mission that you set before them. Continue to soften their hearts for the people of Alaska, God. We pray that as they go, they would make relationships for an eternal kingdom, God. We, uh, we ask these things in your name, and God, we pray that you would... Um, answer those requests for us, God. We, uh, we pray that you would allow us to worship today, God. We're expecting of you uh, to speak through this service and for us to hear your gospel. God, we pray that you would soften our hearts to respond to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. If you bow your heads with me. Father God, Lord, we love you, Lord, and we praise you again, and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to get to come and worship you today, Lord. And, Lord, I pray that we would just not take that for granted, Fathers, as, as believers, Lord. It's just such an awesome thing, Father. And like Kenny was saying, just the power of prayer, Father, just to see you move. And, um, Lord, I just pray that you would be with each person here. You brought all of us here today for a reason, Father, and a purpose. Use us, Father, please. And if there's someone out here, Father, that, that is looking for a Savior, Father, I pray that you would just grab their hearts today and speak to them, Father, through our pastor. We thank you so much for Shan, Lord. I pray that you would just speak through him, Lord, and allow it to be your words, Lord, and not his own. In your beautiful, wonderful name I pray, Lord. Amen.
Amen. Would you grab your Bibles as you grab your seat and open with me to Revelation chapter 22. During our worship time, we read from Revelation chapter 21. That'll kind of set the stage for us for what we're going to study in-depthly. But as you're turning to Revelation chapter 22, I want to ask you a question. Are you someone who uh, tends to give away or spoil the ending of a movie or a show? Some people are looking around right now and they're like, I want to find out who I'm striking off of my friend list immediately because those are not the kinds of people that I want to be friends with. I find that this happens because I think because of two different impulses. And one of those is a better impulse than the other one. You have first like the middle school boy who just wants to ruin your fun. Like they're in the movie theater and they scream out in the first five minutes, he was dead all along. And you're like, okay, come on. Like there are people like that. I think the second impulse is a better reason, but it's still not a good result. Still don't do it, okay? But the second impulse is more like you're just so excited about what you know is going to happen that you want to talk about it. You're like, I know the ending. It's so good, and you just can't wait to talk about it, right? That's a better impulse, but again, still don't do it. I recently... Um, I committed a, a, a major offense against Megan in that when you're married, you have this list of shows that you're planning on watching together, and that's, it's a big deal. You don't watch those shows alone, okay? <laughs> but she was out of town, and I thought this show was pretty far down the list. I thought, we'll never get to it, right? And so I watched it, and that was a, that was a big deal. She, I can't believe you did that. And so, of course, I rewatched the show with her, but I kept finding myself wanting to say, like, what's about to happen is really funny. Like, and she kept, you know, punching me, like, would you stop, all right? <clears throat> well, we have been studying one big story over the last six weeks, and now we have come to the ending. And I want to encourage you that this is a really good ending, and you should not be worried about spoiling it for anyone. This is an ending that we need to know, and an ending that we need to share, okay? The Bible, really, even though it's 66 different books, many different human authors, the Holy Spirit is the true author of Scripture, and He... uh, composed it in such a way that it tells one big narrative, one big story. And we began our study in the book of Genesis in the beginning, and now we're ending in the book of Revelation, the end. In the beginning, we learned about the first Eden, the paradise that God intended for us. And today we learn about the new Eden, where we will spend all of eternity if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. We read from Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of our series, but let's hear a passage from Genesis 2 real briefly, okay? 2, 7 through 14. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed And out of the garden, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. Okay, so the picture here is this river is the source of life, even for the garden, and it divides into four directions, basically going to each corner of the earth Life is flowing out of Eden to the rest of the world. The name of the first 
River is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedlam and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So we get, I want to remind you of this picture from the garden, a picture of abundant life, where this river that provides the water needed for life not only goes to the garden, but is divided and goes out to the rest of the world. We hear these details about gold and um, onyx. And this is just God saying, not only did I give you everything you needed, but I also gave you even things beyond your need, just beautiful things for you to enjoy. And so we know we started the story in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, but it wasn't very long before, because of our sin, we had to be cast out of the garden. Because of our sin, our unholiness, we had to leave the presence of the holy God, and for that reason, we could not stay in Eden. And then the story that we've been studying for six weeks now is how God has step by step brought us back into his presence. That once we were cast out of the garden, even the ground itself was cursed. The world uh, set into uh, a bad rhythm. Uh, and now God is in the process of redeeming his creation. First, he chose a people to reveal his holy presence to. Then he sent his son to take the punishment for our unholiness And then he filled us with his spirit, which gives us the power to live in holiness and to enter into his presence. And so, so much has already happened in the accomplishment of this great uh, plan of rescue that God has in mind. But we know that the world we live in is still under the curse of sin. We know that everything has not yet been fully restored or redeemed back to the way it was in the garden. And so, I have to give you a a big, difficult theological term this morning. You will find this in systematic theology textbooks that are this thick, okay? Here's the term. Already, not yet. That's it. Already, dash, not yet. And you will find this in in textbooks that have words like premillennial dispensationalism. And then you will next to it, it, you'll have the word already, not yet, or the hyphenated word, I guess. And what this fancy theological term is trying to communicate to us is we live in the already, meaning so much has already happened. Jesus really did provide the sacrifice for our sin. He really did give us forgiveness. He really has covered us with his holiness. We really can come into God's presence. That's the already. But as we look around at the world that we live in and all the sin and the brokenness and the, and the curse, we know that we have not received the fullness of God's presence. We have not received the fullness of restoration and reconciliation. And so because we are awaiting Christ's second coming, the return of Christ, the end of human history, we are living in the already not yet. As we think about this big story, we would think of the cross and the resurrection as the climax of human history. And we should think of Christ's second coming, which we are awaiting, as the resolution of human history. When God will resolve and set all things right. When he will bring us back into the garden. 
There will be, as we read from Revelation 21, a new city, a new Jerusalem, a new dwelling with God. And there will be, as we'll read now in Revelation 22, a new Eden. So let's take a look now as we wrap our brains around living in the already not yet, as we understand what it means to be Emmanuel Baptist Church, God with us today, and also what it will mean in eternity. So, Revelation 22, verse 1. So this, as we think about the book of Revelation, and let me just, okay, before we dive into the text, let me say this. You can get a little nervous preaching the book of Revelation. I don't know if you know this or not, but some people have very strong opinions about this book, okay? (laughs) And uh, if you present an idea that is not exactly what they think, some people can get a bit out of shape about that. I understand Hold your strong opinions, but let's have a little bit of charity as we try to understand the big picture that is presented to the book of Revelation, and let's not get too caught up on the details. Let's have a little bit of room to agree to disagree on the details. Does that sound good? Okay. That's what we're going to do, whether you're okay with it or not. (laughs) So, the big picture of what has happened up to this point in the book of Revelation is this, is that God has judged the nations... He has judged Satan, he has gathered his people, and we have celebrated the marriage of Christ and the church. And then we read this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal. So maybe this wouldn't ring a bell as clearly, but since we just read from the book of Genesis, we should think immediately of a certain river, a river that was in the Garden of Eden. And we are, be to, we are immediately supposed to think, God has brought us back into Eden. This new city is not just a city, it's also a new garden. And so the angel shows John, the author of the book of Revelation, this river, and it's not just any river, it's a river of the water of life. It is bright or as clear as a crystal, meaning it is perfectly pure. It is a perfect source of life. Now, in the ancient world, water was a a very powerful metaphor for life itself because a lot of times, especially in dry climates, it was hard to get enough water. I was talking to Thomas this week about how he's doing this challenge, him and some other people, where they're drinking a gallon of water a day. And that is a challenge to drink a gallon of water a day. But Thomas doesn't have any concern about being able to source a gallon of water a day. He knows he can come up with it. He then just has to drink it and then deal with the consequences at night. Um, But in the ancient world, it wasn't so simple. There wasn't uh, access to instant pure water that you could just come up with. And so not only was it hard to find enough water, it was hard to find the right kind of water. And so this picture of water in the ancient world was a picture of life. And this is what Jesus is building off of when he talks about water in John chapter 4, John chapter 7. He says, come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give to you water. I'll give you drink from the water of life. And so we, in the new Eden, will have access to the water of life, this river that is flowing crystal clear. It is flowing, as we keep reading through chapter or verse 1, it is flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
So this is telling us that this source of life is ultimately our source of life because it is coming from God. That it is God's presence is our source of life. So the river, again, I don't want to fight. Is it literally there or not literally there? I think it's literally there. But the picture that it's communicating is life in the presence of God. Whenever um, we, we looked at Genesis, we saw God said, do not eat of that fruit. If you eat of it, you will surely die. And they ate of the fruit, and they didn't drop dead instantly. Instead, they were cast out of God's presence. And the result of being separated from God's presence was that they would die because God himself is the source of life. So coming into the new Eden, coming into this eternal heaven and earth that God is preparing for us, that Christ will bring with him, is this river of life which proceeds from the throne of God. It is a picture of life abundant. And it is because we are back fully in God's presence. This river, as we see in verse 2, it flows through the middle of the street of the city. And this just means that we all have access to it. Right now, there are seven states battling over the apportionment of the Colorado River. And what that means is there are a whole lot more people who want to drink that water and there's not enough water for all the people. Well, in the new Eden, there will be no battles over the apportionment of the water of life. This river will be abundant and its location is immediately accessible and available to all of us. Keep reading verse 2. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So, you'll, you'll remember as we looked at the tree of life in Genesis, we get the impression that there was one tree. But here we see that the tree is growing on both sides of the river. You remember I asked whenever man was cast out of the Garden of Eden, God went to great lengths to guard the tree of life. And I asked you, well, why didn't he just destroy the tree of life? And he wanted to prevent us from gaining our Savior willingly went to the tree of death. And as we look at this picture of this new Eden, we find that God has grown the tree of life to become now an orchard of trees of life available to all of us. And unlike other trees, it is never out of season. It has every month new fruit growing and producing this picture of abundant life. And so uh, the last phrase here in verse 2 is, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. In Genesis 12, God made this promise to Abraham. He said, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we see here the final fulfillment of that promise that anyone from any nation, any tribe or language or nation or tongue, if you would turn to Jesus as your Lord, then you have access to the new Eden. You have access to the tree of life, the river of life for all people. And so as we look at this picture that God is painting for us, helping us to imagine this new Eden, which I'm thankful for. I mean, it's, it's very natural for us to wonder and to go, oh, I'm, I'm excited about heaven. I'm excited about where I'm going to spend eternity in God's presence, but what's it going to be like? It's natural to have that, that curiosity. And so this picture gives us something to imagine. 
And ultimately, what we should picture and imagine when we hear about this river and when we hear about this tree is we should picture this, that the new Eden is full of the abundance of life. The new Eden is full of the abundance of life. It's very helpful for us to imagine this. And it's helpful for us as we correct the wrong pictures that we have gotten from our culture, from uh, you know, Tom and Jerry cartoons or, or, or wherever else you saw pictures of heaven as a kid. This is not the picture that you were given through our culture, through media, right? I actually was curious about this, and so I, I googled under Google Images just the word heaven, and what would you expect that I would find pictures of? Clouds, thank you. I've actually got a screenshot from it. So let's pull up the screenshot, the first one. So many clouds. Clouds for you. Clouds. You get a cloud. You get a cloud. Um, <laughs> then I, I got another one that's a little bit more zoomed in. You can see the pearly gates and the clouds. And this is what heaven's going to be like, right? Where are we getting this picture from? Like, like I, I don't know. Maybe, I guess Jesus... He ascended to heaven and he went, the clouds obscured his, their view. He's going to return on clouds. So I guess they're like, there must be a lot of clouds. But I just don't really understand why this is even appealing. Like, is this our evangelism technique? Like, hey, you don't want to go to hell. You definitely want to go to heaven. Follow Jesus so you can have all the clouds you've ever dreamed of. And it's like, what? Why is that appealing? We don't want that. Instead, what should be appealing to us is the picture that Scripture actually gives us, which is a picture of abundant life. The new Eden is not full of clouds. The new Eden is full of the abundance of life, which just makes sense. The new Eden, as we read its description, is not so different from the earth that we live on now. I mean, God's intention was to place us in paradise when he put us in the Garden of Eden. And then we messed it all up. Yes, we broke the world. We cursed the world with our sin. And so now there are things that are wrong about our world, but there's still much that is very good and very right and should give us anticipation and a longing for a perfect world, a new Eden where we will spend eternity in the abundance of life. But we got to remember We're living in the already, not yet. Meaning we are looking forward to this new Eden and we see the full picture of all that God is going to give us one day when Christ returns. But this truth is already true to a certain extent. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? He said, well, if you you had asked, I would have given you drink of my water, which would become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Yes, we long for the day when we will have access to the river of the water of life, but Jesus has already given us access to the spring of eternal life inside of us. So what that means, living in the already not yet, means that it is absolutely normal if your Christian experience sometimes feels very bipolar. Here's what I mean by that. We live in the already and yet we long for the fullness of what God has given us. Which means that some days, it's very normal for you to say things like, thank you Jesus for giving me the abundance of life. And the very next day, or maybe even the very next hour, say, 
okay, Jesus, I'm struggling. I'm ready for you to bring the fullness of the abundance of life. It's very normal if some days you're saying, thank you, Jesus, for your presence. You feel so close right now. And then the very next day or maybe the very next hour, you say, Jesus, where'd you go? I I, I missed your presence. You feel far away. I'm ready for the fullness of your presence. That's a picture of what it means to live in the already not yet. And the fact that some days are days that we feel close to God and some days that we feel far from him, both of those days should increase our anticipation and our longing for the return of Christ. The days when you feel close to him, you can go, this is so good, I can't wait to be face to face with him. And the days when you're far from him, you should go, come, Lord Jesus, come. I want to be in your presence. So we live in this already not yet, and that grows our anticipation of the new Eden. It grows our longing of the return of our Lord. This is such a good gift that he's given us here to look forward to, to have already and to look forward to the fullness of the abundance of life. But the reason that we live in an already not yet is that even though Jesus has allowed us access to his presence, we still live in a world that is broken by sin. We still live in bodies that are cursed by sin. And so if we're going to receive the fullness of Eden, that's going to have to be resolved. And that's what we see as we look at the beginning of verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. It meaning the new Eden or the new Jerusalem, this place that Christ is bringing, establishing at a second return. So, this new place will be no longer cursed. Nothing will be cursed in the new Eden, which means that the new Eden is free from the curses of sin. The new Eden is first full of the abundance of life, and it is second free from the curses of sin. This is so important. We learned in the book of Romans that even all, chapter 8, I think, all of creation is groaning in eager anticipation of Christ doing this work of restoration. And so we also groan and we long for that moment when the curse of sin would be removed. This is so much better than the story that, you, I mean, like, again, the Tom and Jerry commercial or the Roadrunner or whatever, and, you know, they get hit by an anvil, and then what happens? They grow wings, and they float off to the clouds, right? I've actually found that picture, too, um, when I was doing my Google searching. This is, just write this down in case you're interested. This was an advertisement for an Etsy page, a graphic designer who will take whatever picture you provide of your dearly departed, and they will Photoshop them onto a pair of angel wings, right? Because that's what, of course, that's what happens when we die, right? We get wings. Why? I guess if you live in clouds, you need wings. I don't know how else that makes sense. But again, 
where do we find this in the Bible? We, when we die, we don't become angels. We come into the presence of God, and we worship Him. And we, have, we are given great gifts, like being free from the curse of sin. The new Eden is not full of angel wings. The new Eden is free from the curses of sin. So both the earth will be redeemed and remade, and our bodies will be redeemed, remade, and perfected. You can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if you want to find it somewhere else. But what this means is, is the work that Christ is going to do in the new Eden is both the cure for your backache and for your heartache. That both your, your back, your body aches, and your heart aches because of sin. Your body is falling apart. I'm sorry to tell you that. I saw on the internet when I was like, I don't know, 28 or something like that, you, at the age 30, you start dying. And I was like, I don't, what is that? I mean, it, it, can it be like a switch just flips? And a switch just flips. You hit 30. <laughs> and I was at the playground with Kingston, not doing anything crazy, ducked under something and stood up and I was like, oh, oh, what just happened? And I was, had to preach from a stool for a week, okay? Um, and, and those of you in the room who are like over the age 60 are going, 30, you have no idea. <laughs> Just buckle up, it's a coming, okay? And so I get it, I understand, but you also get and you understand your body is falling apart because of the curse of sin, because you are separated from the perfect, full presence of God we are dying. We are returning to the dust that we were made out of. And the new Eden is the cure for your body aches. But it is also the cure for your heartache. Because think of all the pain in the world. All the death that you've had to face. All the people that you've loved. That heartache will be cured in the new Eden. All of the hurt that you have perpetrated against other people with your sin or they have perpetrated against you because of their sin, that heartache will be cured in the new Eden. What did he tell us in Revelation 21? He will wipe away every tear. And we will be, because we are in his presence, we will have both the fullness of the abundance of life and freedom from the curses of sin. Now, this is pretty good. In my opinion, a lot better than clouds and angel wings. Amen? Okay, but as good as this is, full of the abundance of life, free from the curses of sin, it gets even better. Those are not even the greatest goods of the new Eden. Let's finish out the second half of verse 3 through 5. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. So, if we're familiar with the Bible, we hear the phrase, they will see his face, and we, and we, we g gasp. What? That's not supposed to be possible. Moses on Mount Sinai, he says, God, show me your glory. And God basically says, Moses, you don't get it. I'm so holy and you are unholy. If you were to see me face to face, you would die. And what we learn here is that because Christ gives us his perfect holiness, we can come fully into the presence of God and we can see him again face to face. We can walk with him again through the cool of the day in the garden because of what Jesus has done for us. We will worship him. We will see him face to face and we will have his name on their foreheads. 
Again, we could argue about how literally to take this, but the rough idea is this. This is a picture of belonging to Jesus and looking like Jesus. This name on our foreheads is proclaiming, I belong to him. He is my Lord. It also means I am reflecting his character. Now, maybe this is saying we're all going to have an awesome tattoo in heaven. I lean more towards this being a metaphor of uh, either way, literally or metaphorically, we belong to him and we look like him. And that's why we have his name on our foreheads. The result will be this, verse 5, night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So what this is telling us, big picture, if nothing else, is simply this. Darkness is defeated forever. Sin is defeated forever. Death is defeated forever. Satan is defeated forever. That God's glory is so bright and so shining and it is unveiled before us that it is outshines even the sun. There'll be no need for any other light because of his presence, because of the fullness of his glory. We will reign forever and ever. This is a restoration of Eden. If you go back and and you look at Genesis, on the presence of God. And I challenge you, as hard as you look, as long as you scroll through Google Images, you will not find a picture that communicates this. I I found one that I thought was a little bit more accurate than the the clouds and the wings, and it looks like this. Um, You know, like... You know what this reminds me of? When I was in elementary school, all the girls wanted a Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper. You know what I'm saying? And so this is like, in my, like the, the Lisa Frank New Eden or something like that. I mean, it gets a better grade than... If you don't like the presence of God, you won't like heaven. I think we have a lot of people who are motivated to not go to hell... We have a lot of people that are motivated to receive the good gifts of heaven. Oh, they're, you know, streets of gold and God's preparing a mansion for me, which, spoiler, is not a great translation. We can ruin that passage another day. But uh, <laughs> there, there's going to be, uh, Isaiah tells us this amazing banquet with the best meats. Yeah, I'm all about eating some good meat, right? But none of that is really the focus of God. Those good gifts are so small in comparison to the greatest gift of heaven, which is being fully in God's presence. Seeing him face to face. This is the true treasure of heaven, Jesus Christ himself. The lamb being worshipped day and night. All of us crying out, holy, holy, holy. And so the reason this is a gut check is, is we go, man, what is, my, what is my life set on? What do I find pleasure in here today? This is a gut check for our church. We are Emmanuel Baptist Church, God with us Baptist Church. If we are going to own our namesake, that means we have to desire the presence of God like it is the treasure of heaven, because it is. We have to set our minds and our hearts on the presence above and beyond anything else because that's what we're going to do for all of eternity. 
So let's start today. I hope you can see the cause and effect here. The new Eden has this fullness of life. It has this freedom from curse. But those things happen because of the presence of God. Because we are in the presence of God, we see these other blessings flowing from being with him. From him, Emmanuel, being with us. So let me encourage you. Sometimes telling the end of a movie can ruin the movie. Sometimes knowing the end of the movie can ruin the movie. But that's not how it is for the Christian life. We have to know the end because the end that we've just heard is what we hold on to desperately when times get hard. There'll be days when you go, God, it's so hard. And we can circle up as a community and we can tell each other, hold on. We know how it all ends. There are days when you go, I just don't feel like studying God's word this morning and the Holy Spirit will convict you and say, no, you know how this all ends. Dig in. There are days when you feel like, I just got to share the gospel with this person who is here with us, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Baptist Church. Already, yes, but not yet. Not in fullness. And so we look forward to, we long for the fullness of God's presence. We long for the return of Christ. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come, because we know how good it's going to be in the new Eden, fully in his presence. But what that means, what this text clearly tells us, is that good ending The new Eden is only for those who follow Jesus with their lives. Jesus in this passage is described both as the one on the throne, the Lord, and as the Lamb, the sacrifice of God, the one who took the punishment for our sins. And so your ending is dependent upon who Jesus is to you. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? The one that you follow. Is Jesus the Lamb of God for you? The one who took the punishment for your sin? If he is, then we know the end and we hold on to the end and we long for the fullness of the end. But if Jesus isn't those things, if you have not turned to him in faith and repentance, then your end is very, very different from what we've just read. Instead of Jesus taking the punishment for your sin, you will receive the punishment for your sin. The fullness of God's wrath poured out on you for all of eternity. But this isn't what God wants. He is both a righteous judge, but he's also a merciful, loving father. And this is why Jesus went to the tree of death, the cross, is so that you could have access to the tree of life. This is why Jesus willingly took the punishment for sin, so that you could be forgiven of your sin, and you would know for certain that your eternity is the new Eden. And so this morning, if you would turn to Jesus in faith, if you would repent of your sin and follow Jesus with your life, then you'll know how your story ends. We're going to have a time of response which simply means do what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. The band's going to come and lead us in a song. 
And I'm going to be down here in the front, and I would love to speak with anyone who is ready to make that decision. I'll show you from the scriptures how Jesus can be your Lord and your Lamb, and you can know how your story ends. Father, we're so thankful for your perfect and holy word. We're so thankful for the truth that it is. We're so thankful that you have shown us the end of the story. And it is an end that we long for. Please come, Lord Jesus, come. We ask, Father, in this time of response, that you would be honored and glorified, that we would bless you with our worship. We also ask, Father, for courage. For every heart in the room that is being moved by the Holy Spirit, that you would move them out of their seat they would move how you are leading them. God, we trust all these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.